Hello there, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. This is part three of my paraphrase and commentary on the fascicle or essay, Buddha Nature, Bouchot. This podcast is supported by your kind donations, and if you want to donate, go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate, and you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. And those are my only way of making a living right now, so I do appreciate your support. But if you don't want to support me, you don't have to. This is offered for free. So, we've gone through part one and part two, so let's go through part three. I'm not going to spend any time introducing what this is, what uh, the essay is, because I did that in part one, so you can go back to part one and and, uh, look at that. So let's just jump right into it, okay? Here we go. Zen Master Sion said, All living beings have the Buddha nature. We should look into the meaning of the term living beings. Living beings are not all the same. They differ according to circumstances and karma. Each one perceives things a little differently. In Buddhism, we say that all beings that have minds are living beings. After all, the word mind is living beings. In the sense that mind is living beings, then even beings without mind are included in the term living beings. So mind is all living beings, and all living beings have Buddha nature. Grasses, trees, and even land are mind itself. Because they are mind, they are living beings, and they have Buddha nature. The sun, the moon, and the stars are mind itself. Because they are mind, they are living beings, and they have Buddha nature. This is the type of having Buddha nature that Master Sion is talking about not some other type of having Buddha nature. That is to say, what is not living beings is not Buddha nature. So let's ask Master Sion, do Buddhas have Buddha nature? We should ask this. Notice that he doesn't say all living beings are Buddha nature itself. He needs to drop the have in have Buddha nature. Then the nature of all Buddhas would have living beings. The statement would then be about the real meaning of both living beings and Buddha nature. Even though Master Sion didn't say this, he wasn't wrong. His expression is still meaningful. We don't always understand the truths that we possess. Even so, the enlightened understanding still comes through. There are cases where someone's whole life is an expression of truth and there are cases where the truth is expressed in individual moments. Zen Master Dai-en said, All living beings have no Buddha nature. Among human beings and gods, some who hear this love it, and others are surprised and bewildered. Remember that Shakyamuni said, Dude, all living beings totally have Buddha nature. But Dai-en said, All living beings have no Buddha nature. There's a big difference between have and have not. So it's no wonder that some people aren't sure which statement is correct. But all living beings have no Buddha nature is the superior expression. Master Sion's statement that all living beings have Buddha nature seems to go hand in hand with the eternal Buddha. 
but the two statements taken together are sort of like a sofa being carried by two people. Diane's statement isn't like that, though. What he says is more like a sofa eating two people. Sion was the student of Zen Master Basso, and Diane was the student of Sion, making him the Dharma grandson of Basso. Yet, in this case, the grandson is senior to the son and maybe even senior to Basso. Diane expresses the ultimate truth as, all living beings have no Buddha nature. He's not unclear about this. What he expresses is like a sutra. But let's look into this some more. How could all living beings be Buddha nature? How could they have Buddha nature? If living beings had the Buddha nature, we might call them demons. It would be like a demon's cape had been laid over all living beings. Buddha nature is nothing other than Buddha nature. Living beings are nothing other than living beings. Living beings aren't originally endowed with Buddha nature. Even if they wanted to be endowed with it, that couldn't happen. Buddha nature isn't something that's not there to begin with and then suddenly appears. There's an old Chinese saying, Mr. Chang drinks sake and Mr. Li gets drunk. It refers to someone somehow receiving the experience of another person, perhaps by hearing about that person's experience. Reality is not like that. Reality is completely different from any ideas we can think up even after hearing something totally true. If a living being were to have Buddha nature, it wouldn't be a living being. It would just be the idea of a living being. The reality of living beings is entirely different from any concept we call Buddha nature. This is why Hyakujo said, to say that living beings have Buddha nature is an insult to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. To say that living beings have no Buddha nature is also an insult to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Yet even if saying such a thing is an insult, that doesn't mean we shouldn't say it. Now I'd like to ask Diane and Hyakujo something. You both talked about Buddha nature, so wasn't that an insult too? Didn't you just confuse people? Explanations are explanations. Reality is something entirely different. I'd also tell Diane, you said that all beings have no Buddha nature, and that's true. But you never said Buddha nature has no living beings. You never said Buddha nature has no Buddha nature. And you never even dreamed that all Buddhas have no Buddha nature. Why don't you start over and try again? Zen Master Hyakujo said, The Buddha is the supreme vehicle, the highest wisdom. The Buddha way establishes this person. Buddha has Buddha nature. Buddha is a guiding teacher free of hindrances, with unhindered wisdom. The Buddha uses cause and effect and is free in happiness and wisdom. Buddha becomes the vehicle for cause and effect. The Buddha does not worry about life or about death. Buddha is like an open door. Buddha is not hindered by the five aggregates and leaves and enters without difficulty. Superiority and inferiority are meaningless. Even a tiny little ant is just like this. This world, then, is pure and fine. It is beyond all concepts. That's what Hyakujo said. The five aggregates are the indestructible body of the present. 
The present moment is an open door. The five aggregates don't obstruct the open door. In life we are not obstructed by life. In death we are not hindered by death. Don't be too in love with life and don't be too afraid of death. They are the realm of Buddha nature. Those who are offended by this idea are not Buddhists. Life and death are the result of cause and effect. Use the circumstances in which you find yourself as your chance to act like a Buddha, one whose action is free of hindrances. That's what Hyakujo means by Buddha. This is the supreme vehicle. This place right here is where Buddha exists, and it is pure and fine. One day Huangpo was having tea with Nansen. Nansen asked, In the Nirvana Sutra it says that if we practice samadhi and wisdom equally, we'll realize Buddha nature. What do you think of that? Huangpo said, All day long, when not relying on anything, we've already got it. Nansen said, I won't charge you for your lunch, but who's going to pay me back the cost of your straw sandals? Huangpo didn't reply. Nansen asks about the phrase, if we practice samadhi and wisdom equally. Don't take this to mean a practice in which neither samadhi nor wisdom takes precedence over the other. That's not how Buddha nature is realized. Wisdom and samadhi are not separate. The phrase means that in the state of realizing Buddha nature, there is practice that is equally samadhi and wisdom. Nansen said, what do you think of that? He's asking, who is the you that realizes Buddha nature? If he'd said, Buddha nature's practice of equal samadhi and wisdom realizes Buddha nature, what do you think of that? He would have expressed the truth. Huangpo said, all day long, when not relying on anything, we've already got it. The point here is that all day long is the reality of all day long and is beyond relying on anything. Because the state of not relying on anything is the reality of all day long, Buddha nature is realized. In what moment and in what place does all day long happen? Are we talking about all day long as understood by humans? What about days on other planets? Has the day we're enjoying right now just come to us temporarily? Whether it's a day here or a day on some other planet, it's beyond reliance on anything. Although Nansen said, is that your own idea? Huangpo can't say, yeah, it's mine. Because the viewpoint isn't Huangpo's, and Huangpo isn't always himself. Plus, the viewpoint he expressed is not the subjective view of one person. When Huangpo said, oh no, not really, that's a colloquial expression used when you don't want to sound like you're bragging about yourself. He's not expressing a lack of confidence. Although the viewpoint expressed is Huangpo himself, he shouldn't say so. Huangpo is like a cow going moo. His reply is just the sound that comes naturally to him, and it's the only sound he can make. To speak in this state is genuine speech. We should try to say the same thing in our own way, making the only sound that comes naturally to us. Nansen said, I won't charge you for your lunch, 
but who's going to pay me back the cost of your straw sandals? We should spend lifetime after lifetime researching the meaning of these words. We should think about whether meals are indispensable or not. Why is Nansen worried about Huang Po's straw sandals, as if to say, how many straw sandals have you worn out traveling around listening to Buddhist teachers? Huang Po might say, I always pay for my own sandals. Or he might say, two or three pairs. These might be his way of expressing the truth. Instead, he doesn't reply at all. He doesn't shut up as a way of confirming that Nansen is right or as a way of confirming that he himself is right. A real monk isn't like that. Remember, there are words in his silence. Huang Po's state is like being truly satisfied with breakfast and lunch. When talking about the story of Huang Po and Nansen, Isan asks his student Kyozan, Huang Po lost the debate against Nansen, eh? Kyozan said, nah, Huang Po was able to trap that tiger Nansen. Isan said, you got it, kiddo. Isan's question was a sly way of asking his student if Huang Po was able to stand up to Nansen. Kyozan said Huang Po could trap that tiger Nansen. Not only could Huang Po trap that tiger Nansen, he could even stroke his head. Being able to trap and tame tigers is like being able to hang out with aliens. And by that I mean that Huang Po was capable of truly independent action. Not many people are. Is to clearly realize Buddha nature to open an eye? Or is Buddha nature's clear realization losing an eye and thereby discovering something more profound than sight? Speak up. Speak up. The Buddha nature has got it, kiddo. For this reason, half things are beyond relying on anything, bazillions of things are beyond relying on anything, and bazillions of hours are beyond relying on anything. That's why I say, traps are all one kind of thing. Time is just 24 hours. To rely is to cling or do not cling, like vines cling to trees and flowers. Within things and everything, what use are these words of ours? A monk once asked Master Joshu, does even a dog have Buddha nature? First, let's talk about what this question really means. The monk isn't asking whether Buddha nature could exist in a dog. The monk is saying that if the Buddha nature already exists in a dog and a dog can't practice, then what is the use of doggedly practicing? This is a severe question, but we are fortunate to have this kind of question. Joshu says no, but the word he used in Chinese also means nothingness. It is pronounced wu, so when Joshu shouted it, he sounded like a barking dog. When we hear Joshu's answer, there is a way to come to understand it. No can be like the no in you have no Buddha nature. Thus, Buddha nature calls itself no. Maybe it's like no as in there is no dog. Or maybe it's no, like when someone says, there's nothing here. We can understand this no by sincerely working on the deep meaning of no. The monk replies to Joshu, all beings have Buddha nature, how can a dog not have it? What the monk really means is, 
If living beings didn't exist, Buddha nature wouldn't exist, and so the dog wouldn't exist. Why should the Buddha nature of a dog depend on non-existence? Why should Buddha nature be described as non-existence? Joshu said, because it is bound by its karma. What Joshu means is, the dog's existence is the expression of karma. Karma is the reason the dog exists. But the dog itself is without anything, as Buddha nature is without anything. Karmic consciousness can never understand what a dog is. So how could a dog encounter Buddha nature? We can cast away dualism or embrace it. Either way is the working of karma. Another monk asked Joshu, does even a dog have Buddha nature? This monk understood Joshu's teachings. Asking questions about Buddha nature is the common practice of Buddhist monks. Joshu says, yes. The word he said can also mean it exists. It is pronounced u, so when Joshu shouted it, it also sounded like a dog barking. When Joshu says it exists, he's not talking about the dogmatic ideas of existence that were advanced by some early schools of Buddhism. Let's go beyond those ideas and learn what real existence actually is. Joshu's it exists means the dog exists and means Buddha nature exists. The monk said it exists, but why does it enter a body? The monk's question is about past existence, present existence, and real existence. Although real existence might seem to resemble other kinds of existence, real existence stands alone. Does real existence have to enter anything? When living in reality, do we have to make intentional effort? The question of entering a body is not a question for idle consideration. Joshu said, because it knowingly transgressed. For a long time, people have thought that someone can be reborn as a dog because of sinful behavior in the past. Lots of people say stuff like this. But now Joshu is saying it. He's talking about karmic retribution. There are plenty of people who believe in that idea. The word enter is a problem. It's not really necessary. We don't enter real existence. Moreover, if we want to truly understand that which is unborn and undying, we have to do it from within this body, which is subject to birth and death. Is it necessary to tell that which is unborn and undying, do not depart from your body? A transgression is not always entry into a body, and entry into a body is not always a transgression. Because there is knowing, there can be knowing transgression. Remember that a knowing transgression may include getting free of a body, and thus it is called entering. The action of getting free of a body, when it's actually being done, contains self and contains others. At the same time, it is nothing special. The founding ancestor Ungo said, even learning Buddhist theory is to adopt a mistaken approach. This being so, we have been making a mistake for a very long time. Thus, we're in the same state as that which has entered the body of a dog. Even though it knowingly transgresses, it has Buddha nature. 
A government official in the order of Master Chosa asked, When you cut a worm in half and both halves are still wiggling around, which half has the Buddha nature? Master Chosa said, Don't be deluded. The official said, What about the wiggling around? Master Chosa said, The elements have not yet dispersed. The official asked about a worm that was cut into two. But does he believe that before it was cut, it was one? The Buddhist view isn't like that. A worm is not originally one, and when it's been cut in half, it's not two. We need to really look into the meaning of the words one and two. The official says the two parts are both wiggling around. Does he think that the two parts are a unity before being cut? Has he understood the unity of the ascendant state of Buddha? Whether or not the official understands the words two parts, we shouldn't pass them by. Is it that two parts that were separated are then put back together and therefore one exists? When he describes their movement, he says, both halves are wiggling around. Samadhi moves delusion and wisdom removes delusion. Both are a kind of movement. Maybe we could say, Buddha nature has been cut in half, in which half is the worm? We should look into this expression. Does the question, both halves are wiggling around, which half has the Buddha nature, mean that if both halves are moving, neither half would be a fit location for Buddha nature? Does it mean that since they're both wiggling around, Buddha nature must be in one half or the other? Master Chosa said, don't be deluded. What is his point? Does he mean that the two halves of the worm are without delusion? Does he mean they're beyond delusion? Does he mean that Buddha nature is without delusion? Does he mean to say that delusion doesn't exist, even without touching upon Buddha nature or the halves of the worm? When the official asks, what about the wiggling around? Does he mean that because they're wiggling around, there are now two Buddha natures? Or does he mean to suggest that because they're wiggling around, they are beyond Buddha nature? Master Chosa said, the elements have not yet dispersed. These words may cause Buddha nature to manifest itself. Should we see it as Buddha nature? We shouldn't say that Buddha nature and the elements appear together, and we shouldn't say that when one appears, the other doesn't. And we shouldn't say that the elements are Buddha nature. Therefore, Master Chosa doesn't say a worm has Buddha nature, and he doesn't say a worm has no Buddha nature. He only says, don't be deluded, and then says, the elements have not yet dispersed. If we want to understand the living state of Buddha nature, we should use what Master Chosa says as a standard. We should quietly think about the words, the elements have not yet dispersed. What kind of truth is contained in have not yet dispersed? Does he mean the elements have accumulated in this thing called a worm, but the time hasn't come for them to disperse? I don't think so. The elements have not yet dispersed is the Buddha preaching the Dharma, and the Dharma preaching Buddha. The Dharma is this real moment, here and now. One sound is the Dharma, and the Dharma is one sound. To think that Buddha nature exists only in the time of life and that it goes away at the time of death is naive and shallow. The time of living is the Buddha nature as with and without.
or in other words, yes and no, as expressed in the words used by Joshu. The time of death is also Buddha nature, as with and without. If we want to discuss dispersing or not dispersing, we may be discussing the dispersing or non-dispersing of Buddha nature. The time of dispersion may be with, as the Buddha nature, and without, as the Buddha nature. The time of non-dispersion may also be with, as the Buddha nature, and without, as the Buddha nature. Those who believe that Buddha nature depends on wiggling around, or that it may or may not be divine depending on whether consciousness exists or not, or that it may be a natural function that depends upon knowing of its existence, these people aren't Buddhists. Since forever ago, many people have thought that divine consciousness is Buddha nature. What a joke. Buddha nature doesn't need to be over-explained. It is fences, tiles, walls, and pebbles. What is Buddha nature as expressed in the enlightened state? Do you get it? Three heads and eight arms. All right, so that was the thrilling conclusion, part three of Dogen's Busho, the Buddha nature. Or I, I should apologize here, or I don't know if apologize is the right word. I sometimes said the Buddha nature and sometimes just said Buddha nature. I just kind of went with whatever it felt was right. In Nishijima Roshi's translation, it consistently says the Buddha nature. There are no articles in Japanese, so it doesn't really say the Buddha nature. It really says Buddha nature. Mm. So I just tried mixing it up a little bit, and I was inconsistent, so shoot me. Uh, he says all living beings have Buddha nature. That's Master Seon, or Sion, sorry. Uh, and that's, again, that Shujo, which is just multiple living things. But he clarifies it a little bit, or does he clarify it? I'm not sure if clarify is the word. He says in Buddhism, this is Dogen, we say that all beings that have minds are living beings. And that have minds is the word um, ushinsha, ushinsha, which is a Japanese word that often means sentient beings, but it literally means have mind being. And he says the meaning of the word mind is living being. So he's defining mind his own way. So the mind and living beings are the same thing. And he says that even insentient, which is mushinsha, again, no, no mind being, are included in the term living being. So again, as we said, I think in part one, everything is a living being. So even this chair that I'm sitting on and, and uh, the earth itself are considered living beings. And he even clarifies this in the next paragraph. Or at least a pair. I'm I'm kind of changing the paragraphing of this. If you're reading along on Patreon, by the way, keep forgetting to mention this. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can read along because I'm putting these up on Patreon. So if you want to look at what I'm saying on these podcasts, then join Patreon. Anyhow, in the next paragraph, the way I'm paragraphing it, Dogen tends to write in long, long, long paragraphs, and most translators break those up. Nishijima and Cross did not break up the paragraphs, which makes their version, it's another one of the ways it makes their version very hard to read, but it's another way it makes it much truer to the Japanese. Anyhow, so what I'm saying is this isn't a paragraph in Dogen's version, but whatever. 
Grasses, trees, and even land are mind itself, Dogen says. And because they are mind, they are living beings. The sun, the moon, and the stars are mind itself. And because they are mind, they are living beings and they have Buddha nature. So he's saying that basically everything is Buddha nature, which means that ultimately Buddha nature is one of several words Dogen uses to refer to everything. Uh, Inmo is one of my favorites. I've written about it in my book, uh, There is No God and He is Always With You. Inmo just means literally something or what, but it means the great something or what. Sometimes he calls it self in, in uh, the word jiko, which is just a Japanese word that means self, but sometimes he uses that to mean everything. Sometimes he uses dharmas and, and uh, various words. And I don't think there is any real distinction in that these are different concepts so much as they are different aspects of the same concept. So when he wants to call it Buddha nature, he's referring to the sort of enlightened nature of all things just as they are. So there you go. Now, the next part I want to talk about is something that it's one of these places where when I looked at the various translations they didn't really agree and then when I looked at the Japanese I saw why they didn't agree because the Japanese is confusing. And what I said in my paraphrase is that is to say what is not living beings is not Buddha nature. And what it actually says in Japanese is Sare ni shujo ni arazaran wa busho ni arazaran so that arazaran is a very old-fashioned Japanese, but it just means isn't. So sarani is uh, furthermore, or is, is that is to say, or, or whatever, just a kind of an introductory sort of phrase. Uh, isn't Buddha nature... Isn't... No, no, sorry. Let me do that right. Isn't living beings... Isn't Buddha nature kind of that's what it says the wa kind of uh, joins the two it's almost like is but it's not really the same as is so isn't buddha nature equals isn't sorry isn't living beings equals isn't buddha nature so there's several different uh, translations the at least three that i've found and uh, let's see nishiyama and stevens have that is no sentient being hyphen no buddha nature that's pretty close to kind of what it says uh, Tanahashi has those who are not living beings do not have Buddha nature. That's kind of an extrapolation. That's that's less close to the original. And then the one that's furthest from the original in this case happens to be my teacher's version, Nishijima and Cross's version, which says those who are utterly different from living beings might be beyond having Buddha nature. And he puts a little footnote saying that what utterly different from living beings means, the who are utterly different from living beings, means Buddhas. So he's saying Buddhas are utterly different from living beings and they are beyond having Buddha nature. That's what Nishijima Roshi is saying there. I trust him as far as uh, having a deep understanding of Dogen, and so I'm going to say that he's probably right. But if I had to say what it says, then I would have to give that one to Nishiyaman Stevens, who says that is no sentient being, hyphen no Buddha nature. That's pretty much what it says. Um, what exactly that means, I, I think he's just, again, trying to say that everything is Buddha nature. I don't, I don't know if there's a, a further meaning beyond that. You know, maybe there is, but if there is, I'm not getting it. Sorry. Uh, so... 
Another line that I like comes up in the next paragraph. Uh, he says um, that, who are we talking about? Um, Saya. He says, the science says all living beings are Buddha nature itself. Sorry. He, he doesn't say, he says that Scion doesn't say all living beings are Buddha nature itself. He needs to drop the have in have Buddha nature. So in Dogen's way of thinking, all beings are Buddha nature. They don't have Buddha nature. Buddha nature isn't something they possess. It is what they are. Now, another line I like here is we don't always understand the truths that we possess. I think the Nishijima Cross version says uh, the the truths we don't understand the truths we are equipped with or something like that. But I like that because sometimes we have an understanding that we don't realize that we have. And maybe if there is anything to this concept of enlightenment in the Buddhist terms, it is realizing the enlightenment that is already your possession rather than an idea of gaining an enlightenment that wasn't there before and now you suddenly have it. It's, it's uh, realizing what has always been yours. Let's go down. This is, this is a little linguistic trick I wanted to mention, but you know, for whatever it's worth. Master Sion's statement that all living beings have Buddha nature seems to go hand in hand with the eternal Buddha. Uh, that means it kind of sounds like what we're, we're used to. But the two statements taken together, have Buddha nature and don't have Buddha nature, is what he's talking about, uh, are sort of like a sofa being carried by two people. Now, obviously, Dogen didn't say sofa. Uh, he said something like a stick, a stick or a staff or a log or a beam. I just thought sofa was a cuter example. It kind of means the same thing. But he does say that uh, Dian's statement isn't like that, though. What he says is more like a sofa eating two people. And, of course, uh, he doesn't say sofa. He says a stick, but he says a stick eating two people, which sounds just as crazy as a sofa eating two people. I, I just get this cartoon image in my mind, which of course is probably not Dogen's intention, but maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. I, I think he's trying to express how that statement is probably kind of shocking when you say beings don't have Buddha nature to someone who is learned as a major sort of pillar of Buddhist philosophy that all beings have Buddha nature. So I, I think that's what he's referring to, but I, I think it's just weird. <laughs> Sorry to, to leave you with it's just weird. But the thing is, I'll let you in on a secret. I think I'm more honest than most people who comment on Dogen, because most people who comment on Dogen, scholars, it is kind of... Um, a kind of an unspoken rule that you never say as a scholar, I don't know what this means. Uh, since I don't present myself as a scholar, I have great freedom and I can say, I, I don't know what that means. I, I get an overall feeling from the wholeness of this, uh, this uh, fascicle, this essay uh, that I like, and that's why I'm choosing to comment on it. But there are individual lines where I'm kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what that means. And that's one of them. Uh, I'm just kind of guessing. We're all guessing. There are no cliff notes or sort of supplementary material that Dogen left behind to where you can untangle this. He, he wrote what he wrote and then left it. So any further commentators, even the ones who came right after Dogen, are kind of guessing what he meant when they don't understand it. So, you know, there you go. Then uh, I, there's an old Chinese saying, Mr. Chang drinks sake, Mr. Li gets drunk. I left that just as, as it is. I could have said Mr. Jones drinks, 
I don't know. What do people get drunk on? Uh, Hennessy? I don't know. I just made that up because it's one of the, I don't drink. Uh, whiskey, you know, and Mr. Uh, Peterson gets drunk. But anyway, it, it was fine in, in the Chinese version because it's, it's okay. And I added a line that says it refers to someone somehow receiving the experience of another person, perhaps by hearing about that person's experience. Because when I first heard that phrase, uh, Mr. Chang drinks sake, Mr. Lee gets drunk, it meant nothing to me. And I realized after doing some study that everybody understands that it means uh, taking somebody else's experience as your own. I didn't get that. And I thought maybe for people who might be as dumb as me, I would I'd throw that in. And he says, reality is completely different from any ideas we can think up even after hearing something totally true. That, I think, is important, and this is a, a lesson that Dogen likes to talk about over and over and over. He gives this message over and over, that even the best explanation is still just an explanation, and it is not the thing that it explains. And he pounds that in by ending this little paragraph with, the reality of living beings is entirely different from any concept we call Buddha nature. So even calling it Buddha nature is kind of conceptual. And, and here we go again, kind of the same idea. Uh, this is a few lines on. Now I'd like to ask Dian and Hyakujo something. You both talked about Buddha nature, so wasn't that an insult too? So he's saying that, uh, as you, you'll remember from hearing this, uh, Hyakujo said that calling, uh, saying all beings have or have don't have the Buddha nature is an insult to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Uh, isn't talking about Buddha nature at all an insult too? Didn't you just confuse people? Explanations are explanations. Reality is something entirely different. So there you go. He's he's just saying the same thing again. I think that's pretty clear. And then uh, he ends this section of the essay with, uh, this is Dogen, saying... I'd also tell Dayan, you said that all living beings have no Buddha nature, and that's true, but you never said Buddha nature has no living beings, you never said Buddha nature has no Buddha nature, and you never even dreamed that all Buddhas have no Buddha nature. Why don't you start over and try again? So this is typical Dogen wordplay. In the original, what he's doing is jumbling the Chinese characters of the phrase, all beings have no Buddha nature and coming out with phrases and, and adding a couple of words here and there that uh, of explanation but basically he's jumbling the Chinese characters he likes to do that to find new meanings now another line here that is kinda confusing is the Buddha way establishes this person and this is another one where the translators all kinda differ let's see uh, Tanahashi has he is established in the Buddha way I guess um, I'm not sure if he I guess the Buddha is the he we're talking about Nishiyama has the truth of this state of Buddha establishes the person I'm sorry that's Nishijima Nishijima has the truth of this state of Buddha establishes the person I like that one and uh, let's see Nishiyama has the one that is beyond the Buddha way uh, again I guess he's referring to Buddha and the actual, I'm not going to even try to pronounce the Chinese characters, it's a phrase made up of one, two, three, four, six Chinese characters, and they come out to something like, this Buddha way establish this person. So, uh, the Buddha way establishes this person. I think of that as meaning that if we are a person who is concerned with 
the Buddha way, with understanding life, the universe, and, and everything, and understanding reality, we are a person who is established by the Buddha way. So we think that we have a life, and you know, I think I had a life, and I was born in Hamilton, Ohio, and lived in Nairobi, Kenya, and worked in Japan, and anybody, blah, 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 anybody who's heard my videos and stuff, they know my whole life story. And then I, you know, along the way, got interested in Buddhism. That's the conventional way of understanding it. But what Dogen would say is that the Buddha way wants to be known by the world and it establishes the person of me and puts me through all this stuff so that I'll come out as a person who wants to talk about the Buddha way. That's, uh, that's Dogen's rather mystical way of expressing things, but I think it's probably true. Uh, let's go on. Here's another bit that sort of confused me for a while. The five aggregates are the indestructible body of the present. That's, uh, I guess, Dogen saying this. So in my version, I use the word indestructible. Nishijima uses the word immortal. Nishiyama uses the word unchanging. And I didn't write down what Ta Tanahashi said, probably something else. I went with indestructible because it's uh, fue and... The uh, A in fue is a word that means destruction. It's a word that I've seen a lot when I have been translating Ultraman materials because the, the monster is always destroying things. And that, uh, that character often appears uh, in there when they're talking about monsters destroying things. So the indestructible body of the present. And the indestructible body of the present would sound weird, probably, because you think this body is very destructible. You know, anything could happen. You know, one of those, uh, I don't know if you're hearing the sirens in the background, but one of those ambulances or whatever they are, fire trucks, could run over me and I'd be destroyed instantly. Uh, the body of the present, though, he's talking about is the Dharmakaya, the Buddha body, the, the whole universe when conceived of as one single living thing, or as Dogen often calls it, one human body. Uh, so he says this, this body is a door through which we can understand um, life and death and, and life, the universe, and, and everything. So... Um, so that's that's nice. <laughs> I think that's something that Dogen says, which other teachers often don't say, uh, maybe not so explicitly, that this body, this very destructible body that we have, this kind of uh, you know lousy body that that we you know often kind of disparagingly think of ourselves as, is the way in which we understand the truth. We come to understand the truth. <laughs> Now, uh, let's go on to something else here. There's that conversation between Huang Po and Nansen in which uh, he's talking about um, the Nirvana Sutra says that if we practice samadhi and wisdom equally, we'll realize Buddha nature. What do you think of that? Huang Po says all day long, but not relying on anything. We've already got it. Nansen says, is that your own idea? Huang Po says, oh, no, not really. And then Nansen says that thing about I won't charge you for lunch, but who's going to pay me back for your sandals? Uh, you'll remember it from reading. And Huang Po doesn't reply. So in the commentary of that, Dogen points out that nonsense says, what do you think of that? And he explains, Dogen explains that this question is actually asking, who is the you that realizes Buddha nature? And this is, a, this is an important question because 
we often think that we're going to realize Buddha nature as subject recognizing an object and he's saying that it's not that to recognize Buddha nature is to get rid of any distinction uh, between yourself and Buddha nature and to just be Buddha nature so I think that's neat and then I put in some stuff about what what about days on other planets whether it's a day here or on some other planet what he says is uh, far away lands in, actually and you know just me being into science fiction and stuff I thought other planets was a, a way that Dogen might have said it had he known what we know today about other planets and what we think we know about other planets if we want to be very Dogen-esque about it we assume there are other planets out there but do we really know maybe that's just our way of perceiving things I think that's what Dogen would say but the idea that there are different lengths of days in different lands kind of sounds like you might be talking about other planets you know I remember that thing about um, who was that guy who supposedly went to Area 51 and found all the UFOs and wrote a book and got on Joe Rogan and whatever. Anyway, whoever that guy was, I can't think of his name right now. <clears throat> Read his book and everything. Anyway, he talked about, uh, not in the book, but in some videos, he talked about uh, the, the planet where these uh, UFOs come from has a 90-hour day. So, you know, so maybe there are planets where the, where the days are 90 hours long. That would be pretty hot, I would imagine. But uh, there you go. Uh, I have in a line, a few lines after that, Huangpo is like a cow going moo. I really didn't change much of that. I think he says a water buffalo coming up and bellowing. But I did add something. I added his reply is just the sound that comes naturally to him, and it's the only sound he can make. I think this is what Dogen is saying, although Dogen is not saying it explicitly. So I added my own explanation in there. I think that what he's saying is that when we express the Dharma, is a time when we're kind of like cows going moo or dogs going woof or ducks going quack it's the only sound we can say and it is the absolute truth of the moment because it's it's our best expression of the truth but we happen to be very sophisticated animals and we have all these complicated words we use so it's a little bit more difficult for us to express the truth than it is for a cow uh, i think that's what he's trying to say Oh, here's another one about aliens. I, I have, uh, this is a, a later about the, the uh, conversation between Kyozan and Isan, and you'll just have to go look it up to remember it. I don't want to read it out to you again. But he says, uh, being able to trap and tame tigers is like being able to hang out with aliens. The word, or the words that are in there that I translated as, or paraphrased as hanging out with aliens is irui chu uh, and it's uh, four Chinese characters. And Nishijima Roshi uh, consistently translates this as go among alien beings. And that is kind of literally what it says. And he, uh, Nishijima Roshi, likes to say that this means to be able to have uh, truly independent action. Uh, but one of the reasons I uh, decided to make it aliens, other than what Nishijima said, is irui igyo means spirits or goblins, and iseijin, which is the same e, means aliens from another planet. So I just thought that was something neat. Uh, there's the poem, then, which comes up right after that. Traps are all one kind of thing. Time is just 24 hours. To rely is to cling or do not cling, like vines cling to trees and flowers. When things, uh, within things and everything, what is the use of these words of ours? 
It's not the best poem in the world, but I thought I would tell you what it actually says. I'm not going to try to read. It's in Chinese, so I'm not going to try to read the Chinese pronunciation. But if you literally translate the Chinese characters, the first one is gauze cage one thing, and cages, traps, were made out of a kind of gauze, so I made that traps are the, all the same. Uh, then within time 12, they figured uh, the day as 12 hours, so we say 24, so I said uh, a direct translation would be within time or 24 hours. Uh, the next line is cling or rely, not cling or rely. And this is a kind of um, Chinese structure. I remember uh, one of my co-workers when I was at Tsuburaya Productions was Chinese. And so the one phrase I would hear him say on the, on the telephone often is hao bu hao. And I asked him, I always hear you saying hao bu hao, is hao bu hao. And hao means good, bu means not, and hao means good again. So good, not good. So cling, not cling is a kind of, you know, related to that sort of phrase that you have in Chinese. And I just made it cling or do not cling. Uh, the next line is something like similar vine, wisteria, cling, tree. <laughs> so I made that like vines clinging to trees. And the next one is within heavens and total heavens. So that's so I said in the universe and the total universe. And then the next one is literally back of head, not our words. <laughs> so I said in the end there are no words. This back of head uh, ten, means in your mind, I guess, and uh, we have no words. So so that's um, so to give you the whole uh, poem in non-rhyming version. Traps are all the same, within time or 24 hours, cling or don't cling, like vines cling to trees, in the universe and the total universe, in the end there are no words. Make of that what you will. Poems are hard to translate. Another place where I added some things that aren't in the original is where we're talking about does the dog, does even a dog have Buddha nature? And this is a standard uh, koan, it's often the first koan you're given if you do koan practice in Rinzai. And Dogen explains it by saying the monk is, at, is saying that if the Buddha nature already exists in a dog and a dog can't practice, then what is the use of doggedly practicing? So that doggedly practicing is a nice little wordplay that works in English, probably doesn't really work in Chinese. But looking at some of the commentaries on this, that's what I got from it. That isn't actually in the original, but there you go. I just thought I'd try to explain it a little bit. Uh, when I say Joshu says no, and no is Wu, and Wu sounds like a barking dog, and I say the same thing about U, that's also not in the original. It's something that a lot of people, even in Japan, don't get, because Wu doesn't sound like a barking dog. But uh, that's part of the sort of pun that's being made in Chinese. Okay. Now, one of these lines near the end of the next paragraph is karmic consciousness can never understand what a dog is, so how could a dog encounter Buddha nature? We can cast away dualism or embrace it. Either way is the working of karma. And my sort of little explanation of that is whether we have enlightenment or lack enlightenment, or whether we understand Buddha nature or lack understanding of Buddha nature, all of that is the effects of karma. And there's not much we can do about it. So people imagine that they can make enlightenment happen, but I think enlightenment can only happen if the karmic conditions are right, and there's no way to know if you 
people have particularly the right karma for it or not. But you can kind of make it more likely that you're going to notice it. And that's what we do practice is to get into that subtle uh, area where we can notice things that aren't quite as obvious as uh, other things, as obvious things. Now, Joshu says that the reason that the uh, Buddha nature has entered the skin bag, the body, he literally says skin bag of a dog, is because it knowingly transgressed. And that is a hard concept. I said transgressed. The actual word in Chinese is han. Well, that's the Japanese pronunciation, which is offense or sin. And there's this idea that that if you commit enough sins, you're born as an animal. That's part of the sort of standard understanding of karma. Dogen doesn't really buy the standard understanding of karma because he says a transgression is not always to enter a body, and entry into a body is not always a transgression. So you can't assume that just because somebody finds themselves in a bad situation, that is because they did something bad in a past life. Which for us in the West is probably not a problem, but apparently I've heard of people who've spent time in India and they say there's a lot of sort of discrimination upon people who are handicapped over there because they assume that somebody who's handicapped must have done something bad in a past life and therefore are a bad person and that this is kind of a societal problem over there. But, uh, and maybe this was a style societal problem uh, for Dogen too, but he points out that that's not always the case. Uh, we don't know what got somebody into whatever karmic situation they're in. Maybe uh, being being born to a rich, wealthy family is is the result of bad karma. Dogen does point that out, that it's the result of doing bad things in the past. You might be born very wealthy and privileged. And as the result of doing good things in the past, you might be born handicapped or something for reasons that we as human beings cannot understand. That's what he's uh, trying to say. So that's what I think he's trying to say anyway. And again, uh, back to this other idea, this is a few paragraphs down, he says, even learning Buddhist theory is to adopt a mistaken approach. So even Buddhism is a kind of mistake. <laughs> so whatever you do is kind of mistake. Just understand that there are kind of better ways of framing life to yourself if you want to conceptualize it, and there are worse ways. And Buddhism happens to be a very good way, but if you decide that it is the correct way in all respects, you've made a mistake because it's still just an explanation even though it's a good explanation. Now we get to that stuff about the worm wiggling around and which part has Buddha nature in it uh, and he says does he believe that before uh, it was cut it was one? The Buddhist view is not like that. A worm is not originally one and when it's been cut in half it's not two. We need to look into the words one and two. And he's talking uh, in metaphorically about oneness of all things. So we look at ourselves as being, you know, bits of the universe that are cut off from the universe. But he's saying, well, that's not necessarily so. We are connected. We just don't notice our connections. There's no cutting in two that happened. It's sort of a, a, a misunderstanding of the actual situation to think that it's been cut in two. Uh, and then, near the end, he says, the time of living is the Buddha nature as with and without, and the time of death is also the Buddha nature as with and without. So, 
and he, and he also says, sorry, to think that Buddha nature exists only in the time of life and that it goes away at the time of death is naive and shallow. So we don't think of Buddha nature as life and not Buddha nature as death. Life and death are also Buddha nature. Uh, so everything is Buddha nature. And that's another one of the concepts he's trying to put across. And then at the end, he kind of shouts three heads and eight arms, which sounds crazy. Uh, I had to look it up because I didn't know what it meant, but uh, the statues of the Bodhisattva of compassion are often uh, depicted with three heads and eight arms. So that's something his audience would have understood. And I think Dogen there is trying to point out that all of this, all of the foregoing is an act of compassion on the part of the universe trying to help me and you understand what we are. <laughs> there you go. That's that's my commentary. I hope it was useful to you. And if it wasn't, or if it was, you can write me and tell me what you think of it, and maybe we can go on a little more. But there you go. If you want to donate to me doing more of this kind of stuff, as I said in the beginning, go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is my only source of income these days, and I really appreciate those of you who keep sending in your donations. But as always, this is offered for free, so you don't have to donate if you don't want to donate. But I do appreciate those of you who donate, because you're the ones that help me buy dog food for my dog who has Buddha nature, or perhaps does not have Buddha nature. So that's that for that, and I hope you enjoyed it, and I'm working on another Dogen fascicle right now, and I don't know when I'll get finished with it and, and put it up as a podcast, but I will once I get finished with it, and maybe I'll do some other sort of podcasty things in the future, but there you go. I hope you enjoyed what you got. See you later. Have a good time all the time. Bye.